Kushnell at Female Founder Fridays, our video series, and I'm here today with Alison Kaiser from East Coast Bakehouse. Alison, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. So, you are a female founder, but you've had a career before you decided to found East Coast Bakehouse. Tell me about the company and tell me about that journey to, to where you are now. So East Coast Bakehouse, we're a new uh, startup uh, in the food industry. We're biscuit manufacturers based in Drogheda in, in County Louth. Um, I suppose that business has been formed with uh, to solve a problem that we believe is there, and, and, and the problem is a requirement for new interesting uh, biscuits. It sounds, sounds uh, obviously it's, it's a very everyday business. It's something people experience every day in their lives, and we thought we could we could make make them better. Um, Fabulous. Ba baking just that little bit better is our mantra. Better, better cookies. Mm. Yeah, just a little bit better. Great. Yeah. So before this, you were involved in many businesses. I mean, you've been a, a business leader in Ireland, and now you've become a founder. What is that? What's that transition like, or what's the difference between the two? Yeah, I mean, I speak a lot now about entrepreneurship and and and, and leadership. But I mean, I was I worked for other people until I was thirty five. Um, so I started working when I was seventeen. So I had a very long career of, of working with other organisations. And it is very different, I think, when it's your own business, um, when you have skin in the game, when you know, when it's when it's your cash on the table. That's that's a huge, hugely different issue. Um, but I think what you what you can look back on when you've worked for other organisations is you know pick the best bits, pick the key learnings, pick the pick the things, maybe the lessons that you learned on, on other people's um, on other people's salary, frankly. Yeah. Um, but to take those learnings and put them into an, a new business. Um, and try and craft them in, in a way that makes it better, and, and that's essentially, I think, the benefits. Lots of people have always, in, in their in, in their hearts, wanted to be founders or entrepreneurs from from the moment they could, they could like left school or, or college or whatever. But for me, certainly, I, I was comfortable to work for other people, and, and the entrepreneurship bit happened much later. But I, I had been brought up in a family of of small business, and both my parents owned their own businesses, so I suppose it was there. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it took quite a long time to emerge. And what has surprised you, or what is the lesson that you didn't expect to learn as a founder? You know, because at 35 and you were very successful, mm -hmm. so you know you probably thought I've learned I've learned a lot here, and I'm ready to take this on and run with it and make it a big deal. So what what's kind of stepped you back, or what's kind of yeah, made you? I mean, I think that the the, the you know the, the overriding. Um, issue when when you are a founder is is to be absolutely comfortable with change because by its very nature a startup every single thing is change uh, your your day uh, begins and ends with firsts you know the first time we've done this the first time we've done that the first time we've raised money the first time we've the, the first sale you know all of those firsts so yeah. it's all about change and I think that is very different as a founder and as an entrepreneur in a, in a new entity than being part of a business that has been established for many years where there are lots of norms, where there are lots of ways of doing things. And it's the reinvention uh, mm -hmm. in a new business that is, that is really exciting, really scary at times, mm -hmm. but also really exciting. Yeah, and yet you have, because a lot of founders, they love that starting, mm -hmm. they love the creating mm -hmm. part, but they don't have the experience maybe to scale it, whereas mm -hmm. you going back to your experience before being a founder, you also have that experience on board. Yeah, I mean, we decided in this business in, in East Coast Bakehouse that we wanted to go big. Um, so uh, it's not an artisan business. It's not a it's not a lifestyle business. We've we've put together a, a very significant investment group around us that have invested, um, and, and and it's a serious amount of money that's on the table to make this a success. The challenges for us are, are there as a, as every startup. It's just they're bigger challenges. Uh, 
the bank loan is bigger. <laughs> the risks are bigger. Um, but you know, I suppose we felt this time around that uh, let's you know we can start a small business or we can start a big business. So let's go big, mm -hmm. go big or go home. I think they say. Yeah. Good, good expression. Mm -hmm. So, so you touched on lifestyle businesses there for mm -hmm. a second. How do you think the culture for business for women in Ireland has changed in in your professional life? Let's say because you know the idea of women, you know, being parents to mm. their children and supports to their parents and mm. being at home and you know running businesses on the side and all of that kind of thing I mean obviously it's still a great thing to do and it exists mm. but there are a lot of Irish women who are female founders who are building big not at all lifestyle businesses yeah. now has that is that a change do you think and yeah, I think, you know, for many years, if we go way back, you know, there just was not the opportunity for women to get involved in businesses of scale because they started, you know, literally at the kitchen table. But mm -hmm. I think that bar has risen substantially. I mean, the first thing is, if that's what you want to do, that's fantastic. That's, you know, that that is, uh, you know, that's completely a viable choice and, and lots of people still do that. But if you want to aim higher and bigger, um, I think the opportunity for ambition uh, among women and, and, and you know their expectations has risen substantially in the last 20 years, um, where we don't you know we're not scared of those of those issues of going bigger. Um, we, we we believe that if it's possible to do it, it's possible to do it at any level, and I think that's been really really encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, our our whole horizon has has just expanded. Um, we, we're starting to look internationally out of Ireland, which is which is brilliant. And I think as an open economy, um, you know, if you look at what's happening in the Irish food industry, we are exporting all around the world. Uh, we are we are feeding 35 million people out of Ireland, mm -hmm. even though we have a population of four and a half. So we have expanded our, our horizon, and, and I think the the entire strategy behind that is something, you know, that that has not happened, uh, you know, un until the last 20 years, and it's fantastic to see. But but you can bring that back even to micro businesses who now see the world as their market, not yeah. simply. Uh, either here or, or even just the UK, which is which is the comfortable neighbour that we've always been happy to deal with. It's now much broader than that. Yeah, and I think you know I was talking at a, a, a Ryan Academy DC mm -hmm. Ryan Academy event earlier in the week, and there was female founders there. Very few actually mm -hmm. international female founders mm -hmm. on an international international European program, and one of them said, "Well, I'd like to be a female founder in Ireland because it seems like it's much more welcoming." to female founders in Ireland. Do you find Ireland particularly ahead of the curve, do you think? Is it? Is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I can speak as a founder within the Irish context. I, I worked abroad, I've worked in the UK for a number of years, but not as a founder. Um, but I think the ecosystem that has developed now in Ireland is, is, is really incredibly encouraging. Uh, the work that Enterprise Ireland are doing in their female founders programs. Um, I know Julie Cinnamon, the CEO there, is absolutely driven to make sure that uh, at some point in the near future we get to 50-50 in terms of the supports that are coming through for high potential startups and, and, and New Frontiers programs and all of that great work that they're doing. Um, for female founders. For female founders. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that ecosystem is, is excellent. Bordbia on the food industry side are really um, cognizant of the need to drive uh, female-led businesses. Um, so yes, I, I, you know, I think maybe where we have catch-up to, to come is as on the funding side, um, particularly around the banks. And um, you know, I, just on a, on a complete aside, I was I was judging a, a, or involved in a, in a student enterprise program there recently, and um, one of the, two of the, of the projects were by young women in the 15 and 16. And uh, on their SWOT analysis for um, for their business, they had as a weakness that they were founded by females. Huh. I was horrified. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not that they weren't incredibly confident young women themselves, 
but that they would see others' perception of being, because they were a female-founded business, there was a weakness there. And I, I, I really think that's something that we have to root out and, and change right from the beginning. So you know, what, at that young women's um, level, if it's there, it's, it's going to continue unless we, we change the ecosystem big time around funding, around supports, and normalize the, the, the fact that um, you know, women don't, shouldn't need to be exceptional to be founders. There's lots of pretty normal male founders out there. Yeah. So I think pretty normal female founders would be good too. Um, yeah. The exceptionalism piece is something we've got to get away from. I agree with you. Tech Ireland mm -hmm. tracked 580 mm -hmm. million in funding in Ireland last year for mm -hmm. startups and only 79.4 million of that was female founders, which is yeah. one of the reasons why we're doing yes. this yeah. series and a couple of the other things that we're doing. So yeah. I think funding is absolutely one of the barriers that we still need to, yeah. or the hurdles we need to jump over. Mm -hmm. And on the funding piece, I mean, again, looking at some of the Enterprise Ireland uh, data that has come out over the years, um, you know, they're seeing an anomaly where, where women, even though there may be a particular uh, amount available for a grant, for example, or for, or for funding or for, or for um, investment, that very often women do not ask for the maximum. Mm -hmm that they feel that maybe it would be better to just ask for what we think we'll need yeah. as opposed to what we might need in the future in order to get even bigger. Yeah. And it is that, you know, don't ask for what you need now, um, ask for what you, what, you, what you need for the future. And, and men seem to be happier about doing that. We're maybe, maybe we're, I don't know, I don't know why we, we don't ask for what we, what we absolutely need. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. a mindset, I think. Yeah, exactly. We try and do with what make we do. Yeah, yeah. We, we try and make We're good do. at making do we in general. Um, do, which should be a good thing yeah. in business, I'm yeah. sure it is. But when it comes to asking for money, um, yes. go, go higher. Exactly. <laughs> Ask for what we deserve. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, touching on um, your experience abroad, you said you mm. lived in the UK. Mm. Tell us about living abroad as a professional businesswoman mm. and how that has kind of helped you when you came back to Ireland to be where you are today. So I moved to the UK about 20 years ago, um, and I had just actually I had left my my job, taken on a full-time MBA to try and I suppose upskill and improve my own my own proposition and what I had to, to offer, and then immediately moved to to the UK and was incredibly lucky to get a job with L'Oreal, um, uh, working on some of their biggest brands and working with their biggest their biggest customer at the time, which was which and still is Boots. So having worked with very small Irish businesses, I was suddenly working with a massive international. A business that is and, and still is uh, either number one or number two in every single category that they play in. Right. Um, so that just eye opener of of being in that scenario where um, the excellence in terms of product development, uh, the huge belief and ambition for every single brand that they sold, and then seeing how they made that operational on the ground with retailers and and obviously with consumers, that was a wonderful experience. And I think from an international perspective, gave me a viewpoint that I never could have had. Uh, back back in Ireland, um, that uh, really the uh, the level of ambition and the level of confidence mm -hmm. to know that it was possible. Now, clearly, if you're L'Oreal, you have billions behind you yeah. to 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 make it happen and 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 you know to, to to essentially support success right from the very beginning. But um, I think that really has always stood with me that 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 ability to look at a, a blank sheet of paper for a new product and see how it how it can it can grow and and having the confidence to to put whatever you need behind it to make that happen. That's cool. And yet then you came back and you, you, it, you still, after that experience, were drawn back to Ireland mm -hmm. to live here, mm -hmm. to build here. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I mean, the the impetus for me coming back and for, for us coming back was um, some. I think it's common with many many women when they were abroad. I was pregnant with our first daughter, and uh, and I remember actually meeting a neighbour who was also pregnant, and she said, "Oh, they're going to be in the same class." And I remember looking at her saying. Oh no, they're not because I'm coming back to <laughs> Ireland, <laughs> and it was a very personal moment. But it was kind of very much an impetus. No, I want, I want to, I want to go back to Ireland. I love Ireland, and I, I you know, I want, to, I want to be back there to, to, to raise a family. So we came back, and um, at that point, we we decided to, to get involved in buying a business or buying into a business, and we were lucky enough that were. Uh, there was a, a Nestle at the time were divesting themselves of some non-core business and we bought into that and, 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 and turned that around and, and that became the, the genesis of a group that we got, in, got involved in, a food group. But yeah, it was, it was very much a turning point and, and coming back to Ireland was hugely important for, for, for us and for me. I mean, I, I don't want to live anywhere else. I, I love this country. Uh, I think we punch way above our weight in so many aspects of what we do in this country. We should be proud of it. Um, it's not perfect, um, but it's a great place to live. Couldn't agree more with you. I feel very lucky to be back mm -hmm. here myself after so long living abroad. Yeah. So thank you so much, Alison, and best of luck with uh, East Coast Bakehouse. And uh, I'm very hungry for cookies all of a sudden. Yeah, I must send you some. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. <laughs> thank you.